Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Knife's Clinical Challenges. We would like to introduce ourselves as the newest trauma series team, once again coming out of Miami's Jackson Memorial Hospital Rider Trauma Center. My name is Eva Rechiga. I'm a PGY4 in general surgery, and I'm actually a returning member back with a new team. And my name is Mike Kobler-Lichter, PGY2 in general surgery, soon to be starting my dedicated research years with our trauma faculty here. I'm Eugenia Kwan, Trauma and Surgical Critical Care Fellow at the Rider Trauma Center. And I'm Jonathan Mesoso, an assistant professor of surgery at the University of Miami and an attending trauma surgeon at the Ryder Trauma Center. Great. So today we will be discussing a topic that can be challenging to navigate, stab wounds to the torso. So who gets explored? When do you get imaging? Who gets serial abdominal exams? We're going to talk about all these possibilities and the nuanced differences depending on where in the torso the injury is located. A note about today is that this is strictly management for stab wounds or other low-velocity penetrating trauma, but not things like gunshot wounds. We will discuss the approach to evaluating and treating these patients based on the Western Trauma Association algorithms and EAST guidelines, and links will be included in the show notes for reference. So let's get to it. Okay, Eva, why don't you get us started with the first scenario? You have a 34-year-old male who presents to the trauma bay after a bar fight where EMS reports that he sustained a single stab wound about three centimeters in size, just lateral to the umbilicus on the right side. No associated blunt trauma was reported. On arrival, his airway is patent. He has bilateral breath sounds. Blood pressure is 145 over 80. Heart rate is 105. He's saturating 98% on room air. What do you think? Okay, well, as with all trauma, the first steps of our evaluation should always begin with the ABCs. As the scenario is described to us, the patient's airway is patent, he does have bilateral breath sounds, and he's saturating well. And for now, he's hemodynamically normal, although he is a little tachycardic. For the D and ABC's disability, we primarily are concerned with the GCS and the pupil exam, though we should be noting any gross focal motor deficits. Assuming that all those are normal here, we should move on to E for exposure. Good. So you're uh, right on target so far. So for this patient, we were told that there was no associated blunt trauma. So a finding of motor deficits or other neurologic injury would be unlikely, but it's important to make sure that you approach these patients in a systematic fashion every time. Uh, if you didn't know the history because the patient is altered or the story is suspect, then anything is possible, and the patient could have also experienced blunt trauma in addition to the stabbing. Definitely. So talking to your EMS colleagues is always very important in this kind of scenario. Uh, but moving on to exposure, as always, we need to make sure we do a full secondary exam looking for any other injuries and then the obvious stab wound that may distract us from it. In this case, we see that there is a peri-umbilical stab wound and that is the only injury. Once we've determined our patient has no hard signs or indications to go to the operating room immediately, we can spend some more time with the diagnostic workup to establish the best path forward. Okay, so Mike, when Eva says that our patient doesn't have any hard indications to go to the OR, what does that mean? What scenarios generally mandate an operation for a patient with an anterior abdominal stab wound? So in general, there's a couple. So patients with that hemodynamic instability, evisceration, impalement, peritonitis, hematemesis, or gross blood coming from an NG tube or on a rectal exam after an anterior abdominal stab wound should go directly to the OR, right? Yeah, that's correct. So now we've heard the term anterior abdominal stab wound a couple times. 
Eugenia, can you explain what they're talking about when they say that? Absolutely. So stab wounds to the torso are generally broken up into different regions based on their anatomic location. And this classification actually helps determine how we evaluate and treat these patients. Anterior abdominal stab wounds refer to those that occur between the anterior axillary lines from the costal margins down to the groin crease. Stab wounds to the flank occur lateral to the anterior axillary lines and are grouped together with back stab wounds. In this case, given the location adjacent to the umbilicus, this is an anterior abdominal stab wound. Great. Eva, what if our patient did have a heart indication to go to the OR? What operation would you perform in that situation? Well, it depends a bit. So, for example, if the indication is peritonitis, you might put a laparoscope in first just to see if there was actual peritoneal violation of the stab wound and to confirm entry into the abdomen. However, for the most part, for most other indications, you're probably going straight to an exploratory laparotomy. Okay, so our patient doesn't have a heart indication, though. What's next? In this case, you can consider getting an upright chest x-ray. And what are you looking for in that situation? Depending on the location and trajectory of the injury, it's possible that the patient may have a hemothorax, and it's also possible to see free air under the diaphragm, suggestive of a hollow viscous injury. Notably, this should be performed with the patient sitting upright because you want to maximize the detection of free air under the diaphragm, but this isn't always possible, unfortunately. Okay. I think most people would say that if you find free air under the diaphragm on a chest x-ray in a patient with the stab wound to the abdomen, those patients merit some kind of operative exploration. But what if your chest x-ray is normal? In general, there's three separate decision pathways that you can go down for a stable patient with an anterior abdominal stab wound without any acute indication for surgery. So these would include local wound exploration pathway. There's a serial uh, clinical exam or abdominal exam pathway. And then there's the diagnostic imaging pathway. The end goal of any of these three pathways is to continuously evaluate which patients can be successfully managed non-operatively versus which patients need to be moved into the operating room for exploration right away. Okay, so bringing it back to our patient, we get the chest x-ray and there's no free air. How do we decide which of the three non-operative pathways is the best strategy for our patient with an anterior abdominal stab wound? Yeah, so this is another situation where it depends. Uh, this is often based on the local resources and the trauma surgeon and the system preferences. Uh, but in general, the three different pathways seem to be equivalent. Are there any differences if our patient were to be not alert or not examinable in which pathway we choose? That's a good question. So many centers tend to be a bit more conservative with this population. Most studies evaluating non-operative management have historically excluded this population. While some centers prefer routine surgical exploration in this population, there have been two prior multi-center studies by the Western Trauma Association that suggest non-operative management in this population is still safe and effective. But with this in mind, the current recommendations from the WTA would be for liberal use of diagnostic aids to assess for peritoneal violation or intra-abdominal injury, either with with diagnostic imaging or with uh, local wound exploration. If any of these methods are positive or equivocal for peritoneal penetration or intra-abdominal injury in the non-examinable patient, you should go to the OR. But if they're negative, it is safe to put this population into the serial exams pathway. Okay, so our patient is alert and examinable. You got a chest x-ray on him, which is totally within reason, uh, but not mandatory given the location of his stab wound in the periumbilical area. Take us through each of the three different pathways and how you would handle that with this particular patient. Let's start with a local wound exploration. First of all, what is it? How do you do it? Um, do you just stick your finger into the wound and guess, or is there a right way to, to do this procedure? 
<laughs> yeah, there's definitely a right way to do it. And there was a time in my life where I did think you just stick your finger in the wound and guess, but that is not the case. It should actually be done as a sterile bedside procedure where local anesthetic is injected into the area. And you would usually have to enlarge the wound with a scalpel to get adequate visualization. You also want to have good lighting. Exposure is key. So you'll need a couple of Army-Navy retractors to really see well. And essentially what you're trying to find or what you're trying to look at is the anterior rectus fascia to see if it's been violated. Okay, great. So what's considered a positive local wound exploration? So a positive local wound exploration is when you, uh, when the stab wound has actually violated this anterior rectus fascia. It's usually not feasible to visualize the posterior fascia as well, but violation of the anterior fascia is all you really need to call it a positive. So what's the benefit of taking a patient down this local wound exploration pathway? Well, if it's negative, you can be confident that there was no peritoneal violation at all, and the patient can essentially be safely discharged home. It avoids the necessity of the observation period, serial abdominal exams, radiation and costs from admission or CT scan. It also avoids that the patient gets a non-therapeutic laparotomy. Okay, perfect. So that answers the question of what happens when it's negative. Now, what happens if your local wound exploration is positive? Do we always go to the operating room in that case? Again, uh, if there are no other indications to go to the OR, a positive local wound exploration alone does not necessarily mean you need to go to the OR. In that case, the patient should be moved into either the serial abdominal exam pathway or the diagnostic imaging pathway. Okay, so bringing that together, negative wound exploration means patient can go home. Positive wound exploration means either a transition to the diagnostic imaging or the serial exam pathway. So now let's talk about the diagnostic imaging pathway. We're talking about CT scan here, right? Yes, exactly. So we're talking about getting a CT scan of the lower chest, abdomen, and pelvis with high resolution. So that means three millimeter cuts or thinner. And what can you see or what are you looking for on the CT scan in these patients? Essentially, we're looking for a reason to go to the OR. So what the WTA guidelines describe would be uh, an operative injury is something that includes a uh, any signs of bowel injury or secondary signs of it, such as free fluid, free air, bowel wall thickening or mesenteric injury, a, a diaphragm injury, or any other major abdominal vascular injury, or if there's any contrast extravasation that would indicate there's ongoing bleeding. So does everyone with a vascular injury or contrast extrav on the CT scan go to the OR? Also, not necessarily. So according to the Western Trauma Algorithm, if there is a solid organ injury or active bleeding, but they have no other indication to go to the OR, you can move them into the serial exam pathway or consider IR for angioembolization. That's a good point, but I think it's important to emphasize that this should only be considered in a center where serial exams can be done consistently and patients can be observed intensely for any change in status. If that's not your situation, these patients should be explored. That's a great point, Eugenia. Um, so Eva, what if the CT scan is completely normal? Do these patients go home if they have a completely normal CT scan? Well, not always. Uh, the decision between discharge or moving the patient to the serial exams pathway should be individualized based on the patient's overall clinical status and their reliability. CT scans can definitely have significant false negative rates for hollow viscous injury, particularly when performed early right after the injury. Exactly. I, I think that point um, can't be understated, really. Um, if you get a CT scan early after the injury, you may not notice some of those secondary signs of bowel injury, like the thickening or the significant free fluid. So you need to be careful not to send the patient out too early. Okay, 
Great. So a positive CT scan means some kind of intervention, uh, whether that's just moving them to the local wound exploration pathway um, or some kind of operative or interventional radiology uh, procedure, um, whereas a negative CT scan means that maybe they can get discharged, but more likely also a transition to the serial exam pathway. So if I'm understanding it right, it sounds like most, but not all roads lead to the serial exams pathway. So what exactly does this mean? What constitutes a serial clinical exam? How frequent should they be? And then how long do you need to keep patients here to do these serial exams? Great questions, Mike. So the serial exam should consist of repeated abdominal exams, vital sign monitoring, and also laboratory assessments to identify any signs of new or ongoing bleeding or peritonitis. So ideally, this should be done for a period of at least 12 to 24 hours. The time interval between exams should be at least every four to six hours. And also the patient needs to be uh, reliable and examinable for this to be the appropriate pathway. For example, you can't really be doing this in a completely obtunded patient or somebody who's like intubated, sedated, and paralyzed. And ideally, the exam should be performed by the same surgeon every time for consistency. Those are all great points. I would emphasize that the exam should be performed by the same person when at all possible. And I would add that if it's not possible, you should strive for always the outgoing and incoming teams to examine the patient together when transitioning care to make sure that everyone's on the same page and they're all reading the same exam. Okay. To recap, the three non-op pathways we have are serial exams, local wound exploration, and diagnostic imaging. For the local wound exploration pathway, if it's negative, we can discharge. But if positive, we transition to serial exam versus diagnostic imaging pathways. For the diagnostic imaging pathway, positive scan means OR versus IR, while negative scan means discharge versus transition to serial exam pathway. And for the serial exam pathway, any change in the status to cause peritonitis or instability means OR. Any signs of bleeding without instability means transition to diagnostic imaging pathway. And if the patient status remains unchanged for the observation period, they can be discharged. So Dr. Mezos, so how do you usually manage patients with anterior abdominal stab wounds? Which of these pathways do you usually prefer? Mike, I thought you'd never ask. So in general, as you've all mentioned before, any patient with a clear indication to go to the OR like instability or peritonitis, evisceration, et cetera, I take those patients directly to the OR for exploration. Those are easy. That's not really where the, uh, the challenge exists. Otherwise, I think given the resources at our center particularly, I generally tend toward the serial abdominal exam pathway for most patients with anterior abdominal stab wounds who don't have an immediate need for surgery. In my mind, as kind of a simple surgeon, this is the simplest of the pathways. They get observed usually for about 24 hours, and if they remain stable with no changes in their abdominal exam, no uh, new or worsened leukocytosis, or a significant change in their hemoglobin, then they can be discharged at 24 hours. If anything changes, particularly if they become unstable or if they develop peritonitis or leukocytosis, then they go to the operating room. If anemia is the problem, uh, and I'm concerned that there may be a solid organ injury, I may consider a diagnostic imaging study in those patients versus a diagnostic laparoscopy. If it's a very thin patient with an anterior abdominal stab wound and no need for an immediate operation, I may consider doing a local wound exploration off the bat because if it's negative, then they can be discharged home 
But in general, I only do this for the really thin patients because as you can imagine, a larger body habitus can make the wound exploration more difficult to do at the bedside. And finally, I don't usually get a CT scan in patients with anterior abdominal stab wounds, although we've already established that this may be a good diagnostic tool in certain patients. Awesome. That makes sense. Thank you. So when do we have to think about evaluation for thoracic injuries? Well, that's a great question because it moves us to the next scenario. So Mike, you can take this one. Let's say that we have the same guy, same story, but now instead he's coming with a stab wound to the left chest and just lateral of his xiphoid, right below the costal margin. How does this change the workup? So once again, our first steps are always the ABCs. Here, everything is the same as the last scenario. But when we get to the exposure step, we notice he just has a single stab wound to the costal margin. So here we have a, a much higher suspicion for injuries to the thoracic structures. And so we need to be worried about the diaphragm as well. Does this type of anterior abdominal stab wound have a specific name? Yes. So these are referred to as thoracoabdominal stab wounds. Excellent. So how do you define a thoracoabdominal stab wound? Thoracoabdominal stab wounds are a subset of anterior abdominal stab wounds. So they're also bordered by the anterior axillary lines laterally, but they are bounded by the nipple line superiorly and then the costal margin inferiorly. That's correct. So what's so special about thoracoabdominal stab wounds? Why do they have their own subcategory? Is there any particular significance for them? Any difference in how you evaluate them or manage them? Definitely. So the difference with this location is that in addition to the intra-abdominal injury, there's also a higher likelihood of intrathoracic injury from thoracoabdominal stab wounds. Laterality also matters. So on the right, because you have the liver taking up most of the space, a liver injury would be more common, obviously, but a diaphragm injury would be less common given the liver covers the diaphragm on that side. On the left, the likelihood of a diaphragm injury and subsequent diaphragm hernia is definitely higher. Perfect. Those are great points. So taking it back to our patient, it sounds like he has a left thoracoabdominal stab wound and he's stable with no hard indication for the OR right now. So how would you work up this patient? In this instance, a chest x-ray and pericardial ultrasound are both mandatory. Interesting. It's kind of rare that we say something is mandatory. Why is that? What are you looking for? So on chest x-ray, I would be looking for evidence of a pneumothorax or hemothorax. If the patient has a diaphragmatic hernia, you may also see a gas bubble in the left chest as well. On pericardial ultrasound, you're looking for evidence of a pericardial effusion, which in this case would indicate hemopericardium until proven otherwise. Great. So let's say the chest x-ray you got in the trauma bay was unremarkable. The pericardial view on the ultrasound was negative. The patient remains stable and has no indication to go to the OR. So what now? Well, the good news is he doesn't need an emergency operation for hemorrhage control right this second. Okay, but does that mean that he can go home? In this scenario, definitely not. Uh, this is one of the more important take-home messages when dealing with thoracoabdominal stab wounds, particularly on the left side. Even though he doesn't have any indication for surgery right now, given the location of the stab wound, we need to be concerned that there is an occult diaphragm injury, and that's going to require an evaluation. Okay. How do you evaluate a patient with an isolated left thoracoabdominal stab wound for a diaphragm injury? Does he need a laparotomy? Are we doing this right away? Great questions. So the current recommendations in this scenario are to take the patient to the OR after a period of 8 to 12 hours for diaphragm evaluation. 
these patients don't require a laparotomy. Actually, the procedure of choice in this case is a diagnostic laparoscopy. This way, you can usually inspect the diaphragm and repair it in a minimally invasive way and prevent the patient from getting a big laparotomy. Okay, you mentioned waiting a period of 8 to 12 hours prior to doing the diagnostic laparoscopy. Why is that? It seems like it would be better to just get it out of the way as soon as possible. Well, remember, these are thoracoabdominal stab wounds. So the rules for anterior abdominal stab wounds still apply. These patients should get a period of serial abdominal exams to ensure no peritonitis, since they still can have holobiscus injuries if the trajectory entered the peritoneum. Allowing them some time to declare themselves will avoid you second-guessing whether the abdominal discomfort they have after a diagnostic laparoscopy is because of the insufflation with CO2 or because you missed a bowel injury with the laparoscope. Excellent. So let's say that our patient has no other injuries. We wait the 12 hours, and now we want to take him to the OR. What's our approach? So here in general, we're talking about a laparoscopic diaphragm evaluation, like mentioned previously, although thoracoscopy is also an acceptable option. And actually, this would be preferred if there are signs of retained hemothorax. I noticed there wasn't much mention of the diagnostic imaging pathway for this injury pattern. Why is that? Well, my understanding is that CT is notorious for missing diaphragm injuries. In some literature we were looking at before, sensitivity had been reported between 14 and 61%, which was improved to 77% with the use of modern multi-detector CTs, but obviously that still isn't great. And these numbers can be even lower in the case of penetrating traumatic diaphragm injury. Other studies have noted an incidence of traumatic diaphragm injury as high as 42% after penetrating thoracoabdominal trauma with missed injury identified on laparoscopy in more than a quarter of patients with no clinical signs or symptoms. So it sounds like there's no real use for CT in this type of injury pattern then. Well, this is somewhat controversial, but more recent studies have actually demonstrated improved detection rates of traumatic diaphragm injuries, some upwards of 90% with new imaging technologic advances. The Western Drama Association consensus guidelines recommend close post-discharge follow-up and repeat imaging at 6 to 12 months to identify a missed traumatic diaphragm injury with visceral herniation if this is the approach used to rule out a traumatic diaphragm injury. Okay, great. So what if I told you that in this same patient, you instead found free fluid within the pericardium? How would that change your management? Well, in that case, the fluid is blood until proven otherwise, and this patient should go directly to the operating room for immediate sternotomy. That's exactly right. And, and definitely the correct answer for the oral boards, definitely a safe answer. Although I will say that some, uh, like some studies that have come out of South Africa, would argue that in the hemodynamically stable patient with those findings, a subxiphoid pericardial window and a drain may be an adequate approach if the patient remains stable in the OR without any continued bleeding after you open the pericardium. But that discussion is kind of outside of the scope for today. Just be aware that there's other options out there. However, your answer is absolutely correct and the safest way to approach this problem. Now, what if I told you that the chest X-ray showed a moderate left hemothorax, but the pericardial ultrasound was negative for blood? Well, that's another one of those tricky situations. Uh, in this case, because there's a left-sided hemothorax, the sensitivity of the pericardial ultrasound actually drops significantly and cannot definitively rule out a cardiac injury as the hemopericardium may be decompressing into the left chest. So in this case, the patient should still get a subxiphoid pericardial window to evaluate for hemopericardium. Perfect. I guess uh, you are paying attention to morning report. That's great. Okay, let's change up the scenario once again. Let's say the stab wound was on his back a few centimeters 
to the right of his spine at the level of approximately L3. Otherwise, his vital signs are the same. Eugenia, your turn. Again, we go back to the ABCs to start. So we do all that and find our only injury is the stab wound on the patient's back. Here, we're less concerned about thoracic structures given the location, and we have to shift our attention to the possibility of injury to retroperitoneal structures. Does this change the approach to which non-operative pathway we select? Absolutely. Retroperitoneal injuries can include, of course, major blood vessels and solid organs, as well as colon and duodenum. The problem is that injuries here can have much more subtle initial exam findings and symptoms. Because of this, the recommendation for all back flank wounds that are managed non-operatively is to go down the diagnostic imaging pathway. Okay. Are there any special considerations we need to think about when ordering the imaging for these types of wounds? So classically, the board's answer was triple contrast CT if you're concerned about a colon injury. So triple contrast CT, meaning IV, PO, and rectal contrast, has report sensitivity of 100% and specificity of 96 to 100% for identifying injuries requiring OR or IR in several studies. However, there's some debate as to the necessity of this. There are also multiple studies describing similar results with either double contrast or with just rectal contrast. Still, others think that a regular CT with IV contrast does the trick. Ultimately, the Western Trauma Association algorithm leaves the details of contrast administration to the discretion of the surgeon and radiologist. So our patient goes to the CT scanner, he gets a triple contrast CT, and the CT is completely negative for any intra-abdominal findings. What do you want to do in that case? According to our diagnostic imaging pathway, this patient can either be moved to the serial exams pathway and observed or discharged. If his vitals and exam are stable, there are no findings on the CT. In this patient, I think he's safe to discharge home. Okay, that seems reasonable. Um, what if the CT scan is not necessarily positive, but also not necessarily negative? Let's say they tell you that there's, or you see when you're reviewing the scan, some haziness, kind of a little stranding or something near the colon or the duodenum. What would you do in that case? In that case, I would consider that a positive CT and would explore the patient. Great. I agree. You know, I think that's the safest route for that patient. It's important to remember that the retroperitoneal structures may leak for a certain amount of time before the patient begins to get sick. And I think it's better to be ahead of the game. So in these cases, you know, I think doing a laparotomy is definitely not a crime. I think it's probably the safest thing. So one final scenario. This is the easiest one, I think. Same patient, same history with one stab wound to the anterior abdomen, but he's hemodynamically unstable with an initial systolic blood pressure in the 140s. But then he, immediately after getting your chest x-ray, you notice he becomes somewhat lethargic and his heart rate's now in the 120s, and a repeat systolic is now 85. So what do we do now? Okay, that's easy. OR for a laparotomy. But we have to remember, can't forget about the basics. We need to start with our ABCs, our chest x-ray, evaluation with pericardial ultrasound, if there's any concern for thoracic injury based on location or adjunct imaging. This is particularly important in cases of hemodynamic instability as you don't want to have a negative laparotomy with a hypotensive patient only to realize that the source of the instability was a thoracic injury the whole time. 
Yeah, th those are great points. And one thing I would add that we haven't really stressed during this episode, because it's kind of a given when you're talking about trauma, but particularly in this patient who now started to decompensate, really important to make sure that you have your adequate IV access and have started. In this case, I would probably start a massive transfusion protocol, but making sure that you have your blood products available is very important at this initial stage, even before getting to the operating room. So does the operative approach change of the stab wound or to the back flank or the thoracoabdominal area in this scenario? No, as always, hemodynamic instability is a hard indication to go to the OR. The initial approach should be laparotomy for all of these situations. You can pay special attention to the evaluation of the diaphragm for a thoracoabdominal wound and to the retroperitoneum for a back flank wound, but the approach is the same. Great. So you take your patient to the OR, you find a mesenteric hematoma that's expanding, you do some resections, and the guy does great. What if instead this guy had been hemodynamically stable but was rigid and severely tender to palpation? Again, this is a hard indication to go to the OR. Just to reiterate, hemodynamic instability, evisceration, peritonitis, hematemesis, blood parectum or with gastric aspiration or NG, and impalement are all hard indications to go to the operating room. All right. Excellent job, everyone. I think uh, we covered all the highlights related to stab wounds of the torso. We discussed hard indications for the OR, different management pathways for anterior abdominal stab wounds, the significance of thoracoabdominal stab wounds, and the management of stab wounds to the flank and back with some bonus questions about intrathoracic injuries. So why don't you all go through some quick take-home points that we covered today? Okay, so yes, we'll go over some quick hits. So number one, don't forget about the blunt trauma that may be associated with an assault. Number two, always start with the ABCs of the primary survey and make sure to do a thorough head-to-toe exam so you don't miss injuries. Number three, patients with stab wounds to the torso and hemodynamic instability, evisceration, peritonitis, impalement, or gross blood should go to the OR. Number four, all patients with anterior abdominal stab wounds do not need a laparotomy. The three general clinical pathways for these patients, if they don't have a clear indication to go to the OR, include serial abdominal exams, local wound exploration, or diagnostic imaging. Number five, serial abdominal exams require frequent monitoring, ideally by the same member of the team every time to detect changes early. Number six, local wound exploration requires adequate lighting and retraction to visualize the anterior rectus fascia. A negative local wound exploration rules out an abdominal injury, but a positive local wound exploration does not necessarily rule it in. Number seven, left thoracoabdominal stab wounds require evaluation of the diaphragm to rule out a traumatic diaphragm injury. Number eight, if there are no clear indications for the OR, diaphragm evaluation should be performed via laparoscopy after a period of eight to 12 hours from the injury. Number nine, a negative pericardial ultrasound does not rule out a cardiac injury in patients with the left-sided hemothorax. Number 10, patients with flank and back stab wounds should be evaluated with CT scan to rule out retroperitoneal injuries. Okay, guys, that about wraps up our first episode. Thank you guys so much for listening and continue to dominate the day. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. 
Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day. Dominate the day.